Welcome to Behind the Clipboard, event experts empowering you to throw killer events for your business, workplace, social circle and beyond. We're giving you the Insider Toolkit, allowing you to make your events the talk of the town. Produced by Known Associates Events, it's time to open the backstage curtain and unleash your world of events expertise. Hi gang, welcome to Behind the Clipboard. I'm Tamara Cook from Known Associates Events, here with my fellow events guru, sucker for punishment in her career because she hates stress, mm. Melissa Howie. <laughs> True that. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about it every time you talk about, oh, I just hate the stress, I'm so stressed. I'm like, you're in a stressful environment every single day. Not every day. All my health providers say, would you consider a career change? <laughs> and I say no, and then they go, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Here's a, here's a gin. Yeah. <laughs> and a Valium. No. Yeah. <laughs> We're recording on First Nations Wajak Noongar Budja in Boroloo, Western Australia, and pay our respects to our First Nations people here and throughout the whole country. So, speaking of gin, mm. today we're talking about our favourite topic, getting the drinks. Love it. Bar service is often pivotal to live events, whether we're serving alcoholic drinks or mocktails. But today we're going to focus on the service of alcohol and the balance between our responsibilities as event professionals and our guests having a lot of fun. Mm. Mel, what do you consider the most important thing when we're implementing a bar? I think it would be how many guests there are and therefore the adequate staffing required and where it's going to be situated in the room so that queues aren't going to be blocking service doors or other activities or that sort of stuff. 100%. So that number one first consideration is how many people are going to be in the room Yep. and where can they get the drinks from? Yep. And then when considering um, staff numbers as well, are there other avenues people can get a drink from? So are the drinks on the tables? Are they going around on trays? Are there other bars in the room? Is this a specialty bar? That will all make a difference. If it's the only place to get a drink, you want to have enough staff. There's nothing worse when you rock up to an event and you have pre-dinner drinks. First of all, when they don't serve pre-dinner drinks, but they say, come for pre-dinner drinks. And then no one is walking around with a drink. It's a dry foyer. I hate that. Yeah, it's awful. (laughs) Spot the alcoholics. Yeah. But also, uh, yeah, if you've got a lot of people, it's really, I mean, we do it at most events where we're serving alcohol is you have tray service. So as soon as people sort of trickle in, they're not all coming at once, which is a beautiful thing, as opposed to when people walk into, from from a pre-dinner drinks area, when they walk into a ballroom, it's a bit of an onslaught. So if they're all trickled in, they've got a drink in hand as they walk into the main event space... It makes service so much easier. It saves the onslaught. So people aren't actually like elbowing, rushing for the bar. You're probably going to finish the drink in your hand first. I mean, depends how much of an alcoholic you are. (laughs) Yeah, and there's a rule. I mean, most people drink quite slowly on the first drink. No, sorry. No, I was going to say, I am the opposite. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say, I got that completely wrong. Most people drink quite quickly on the first drink and then they slow down on the second and third and fourth hour that they're consuming alcohol. Yeah. And for the purposes of this episode, we are predominantly talking about alcoholic drinks. Um, But even still, when people arrive at an event and they're getting a non-alcoholic drink, they're still going to slam the first one down quite fast because they're thirsty. You're parched from finding a car park and getting ready. And most women have been doing their makeup in the bathroom, which is often hot for like (laughs) an hour. Exactly. (laughs) Just me. I don't know. Mm. So, yeah. 
first one goes down quite quickly and that's a good rule for when you're trying to work out what quantities of alcohol you need at your event as well. Two drinks in the first hour, one every hour after that as a general rule. And that takes into account, obviously, you or I may drink slightly more than that, but it takes into account people in the room who are driving, who might have one or two on arrival and then not have any more, people who don't drink at all, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Good little guide to follow. So, yeah, we talked about where it's situated in the room, start with tray service if that's possible, having enough staff. And then I think a really important thing is to have a really clear drinks list so people know what they're getting. There's no need for discussion once you get to the bar because that's going to take up time and possibly cause a queue behind you. Um, And that's the worst thing. We don't want any bottlenecking for people trying to get to a drink or when you have lines and lines of people like at festivals. It's awful. If you're trying to put on a really high-class professional event, you really want that smooth flow of service so people just go up they know what they're getting. They know what they want. They get it quickly. They move on. Yeah, move and away. Having that having that drinks list as big as possible really is ideal, so that you can be ten people back in the line and start to decide. I personally am quite indecisive. Yeah, and if if it's just a cute little sign on the bar, which um, you know does often happen, I panic when I get there. I'm like, oh god, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and have have make sure it's clear, legible, because yeah. quite often those beautiful, cute little signs are done in gorgeous cursive writing that. No one can really understand. You need a degree to to decipher. Yeah, so you've (laughs) got to ask the bartender anyway, which means, you know, it's going to take time. Everything that we're talking about right now is making it time efficient. 100%. Just back on enough staff, um, people might be thinking how many is enough staff. As a general rule, it's advised that you have one bartender for every 75 guests if you're just serving uh, beer and wine. If you're serving cocktails, it obviously takes a longer time. It's recommended roughly one per 50 guests. However, if there's other drinks available in the room, so we're talking you're at a big venue, they're doing drinks on the table, they've got tray service, there's other bar options, you can probably get away with more like one every 150 people. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's really good to keep notes on how it's all flowing as well. You might have everything in place that Mel's just talked about, but you need to keep an eye on it on the night, make sure that it's all flowing, make sure that people have good access and what you what you put in your plan and what you thought was going to happen here, here and here is actually going ahead. Yeah, and there's things you can do on the night if you notice a really big line starting to form that will ease guests' frustrations, such as getting the venue to bring some trays down the line while they're waiting. Yep. Um, you know, that's having a drink on top of a drink. But if the wait is, say, 20 minutes, you could pretty much top off a bubbles by then. Yeah, but if you've listened to this podcast and done your room well, it should never be a 20-minute wait. <laughs> true. <laughs> Very true. Drink. Unless, because there are circumstances where we do want to slow down service and we'll get to that a little bit later. Yes. And also, as we always say, things happen at events that you can't plan. So you could do your best planning, but it's so important to keep an eye on it on the night. For example, a bartender might have called in sick. They might have broken a whole tray of glasses and someone's out the back trying to find them, you know. There's so many things. The world we're living in at the moment is staff are really hard to get. Yeah. In this post-COVID world, a lot of hospitality staff unfortunately left and went to other industries. So the shortages are real and we personally have experienced that a lot since 2020 where we've gone to an event, we've been ready, we've had every procedure in place and we think we've ticked every box. We get to the venue and they have legit lost five staff that day that just didn't turn up. Yeah, 
hundred percent. We've had multiple events where our staff have been helping put stuff on tables, drinks buckets, carrying the BR, lugging it out the back. Mm. So you've got to be prepared for that. Not Just fun. another thing in terms of ensuring efficient service, you might have enough staff, but you need to ensure that they've got enough space to do their work as well. Yep. So um, when you're ordering, you know, a beautiful, you might order a beautiful bar and it's the cutest thing for the styling, but they only have a 1.8 metre wide bar. One of those for four bartenders ain't going to cut it. You need to, um, you know, be thinking about that. And if you need, say your guest numbers are quite high and you're needing three, four, five bartenders, consider splitting it into two bars, for example. Therefore, the queues are split, the service time's faster, they have more room to do their thing, particularly with cocktails. Um, Yeah, everyone's happier. If you do that in the room, it's a great idea to do it. There's been occasions where we've had events where you've had two bars set up in the room and you need to make sure that your guests know which one to go to. You might have an entry point that um, once you get into the room, there's a really close bar and people just don't know there's a bar on the other side of the room. So um, it might be as simple as going up to the bar that everyone seems to be congregating at and saying, did you know there's a whole four bartenders waiting over there to serve Mm. you and there's no queue. I'm sure they didn't know because I'd be hot-footing it right over to the other bar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and little things that you can do is really good lighting in that space so that people can clearly see it or having um, bar signage, you know, neon bar signage or something that – or entertainment that leads people over there, just um, including that in the flow of your floor plan when you're planning it out. Yeah, absolutely. And then as well as having enough bars is – enough shelving and storage. So if you're doing a lot of different cocktails, they require a lot of different types of glassware, for example. You might need to consider also putting shelving behind. You can make it look cute, but practicality really has to come over for efficiency of the bar. Um, Sometimes, unfortunately, has to come over styling. So ensuring under bar space as well as dedicated to ice bins and storage of alcohol and mixers. Um, and then if possible, having additional staff that are clearing the glassware. Yeah, I was just going to say, you can get around if you do want it. Aesthetics is always important. And if you really do need it to look a certain way and look really, really schmicko, get more staff Mm. if you can. can. (laughs) Um, So you've got that, you've got the manpower to come or the lady power, lady power, the person power, people power to come and uh, swap the glasses out and clear as often as you need so that you can still have it aesthetically looking beautiful without having any ugly shelves. Yeah. So um, speaking of service staff, here are some of the things that we find are really important for the bar staff to be aware of. The first thing for me is I like to know that they know the crowd. So they know the client, they know the guests, they know who's coming in, they know the mix of male and female and the drinks that are most likely to be served. So this is very, very, um, what's the word? presumptuous but most often men will drink beer women will drink wine and champagne so mm. if you've got a 60 40 split or say 70 30 split 70 percent men 30 percent women you need to know that you probably need a bit more beer than you would champagne and champagne glasses yep. and your bar staff should know that just so that they know they're ready with what they need to serve and often you're giving that information through through an fmb manager just making sure that they know and that they pass that on to their bar staff. But I also like to, when I'm on an event set, just go up and have a chat with bar people and give them a little bit more insight because 
quite often the F&B manager, they may have done their briefing and everyone's glazed over and not really listening. So just popping over to your bar staff and saying, hey, this is the company that's coming in. We've got, you know, mainly women, mainly men or a mix of both. This is what we think they're going to drink. Just uh, give them a bit of a heads up. And it's nice to know your barman. Because yeah. you need them at the end of the night. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you need to make friends with them. But also it's so important for them to know that sort of detail as well, just for the little things of how they personally set up their bar. Like, for example, if it's 70% men, you're going to want a lot of bo- bottle openers around, depending on which beer they're serving. Um, it's not usually on tap if you're in a in an event space. And, yeah, having the most appropriate glass when nearby, the champagne glasses are way further back because the men are going to be wanting the beer and the tumblers, all that sort of stuff. But it's good to think about when you're thinking about men, if they're an older crowd of older men, they are most likely going to want their beer served in a glass. Mm-hmm. So like you said, it may or may not be on tap, but you may need to pour it into beer glasses. Younger generation tend to just drink it out of, well, let's be honest, cans these days. <laughs> cans have made a comeback. Um, but a lot of people, particularly people over, I would say 60, would mm-hmm. prefer their beer served in a glass. That also is a consideration for time because you've got to pop the beer and then pour it into a glass and pouring a beer is, you know, you've got to do it slowly or else you're going to have a massive frothy head. That is true. I'll save the time. Just give me the bottle. No. (laughs) I'm bottle girl. Bottle girl. Give it to me in the bottle. I don't need (laughs) glass. I don't know who's washed that glass. The bottle's probably a little bit more sanitary, to be honest. Mm. So what else is important for service staff to know? Know the drinks menu, obviously. Know Mm. exactly what we put on the drinks menu, particularly if it's a cocktail, Mm. know how to make it. Oh, yeah. Know what the garnish is, know which glass to put it in, just know it inside out. It seems like a no-brainer, but it happens where people have, um, you know, they don't, they're called in on the day or they're called in, um, rostered on a couple of days before. They may or may not have worked with the team before and they may or may not have made those drinks before. Mm. So, yeah making sure that they know what they're serving and know how to make it and know how to make it well. There's nothing worse than when I go somewhere and I ask for a dirty martini and they just don't know what it is. They're like reading it from something and they're putting in olive brine from some big vat of olives that they've pulled out. And, you know, I'm using my hands here, but the vats, you know, 30 centimetres high. and Like a five-litre container. It ain't going to be good. It's awful. <laughs> but not so. It's also important, not just for cocktails, but... I find it really frustrating when even at a restaurant where they they work there regularly, it's not even a a temporary thing like an event, knowing the wine even, like we'll ask quite often, you and I are big Shardy fans, we'll ask if it's oaked, um, what sort of- Is it buttery? Yeah, is it buttery? What colour is it? Some of them don't even know what a Chardonnay is. I don't know if it's a red or a white. That just drives me insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's really important because you don't don't feel confident really if you don't, if you're being served by a bar person- they should know what they're talking about. And, you, yeah, like you said, you should be able to ask questions. Definitely. And even guys saying, well, not just guys, but people asking, is there a mid-strength beer? And them having to rummage through to find the label, they should know that off the top of their head. That is really important. There should be a light beer. Mm-hmm. We should, as event professionals, be offering that range. should be a light beer. There should be a mid-strength and there should be a full strength and it should be readily available yeah. and enough of it. Definitely. And zero, the 0% beers are really having a moment at the moment. They are. And it, yeah, I'm in two minds. I think I it, depend, it depends on your crowd. I think it's a great idea if you can incorporate that. Yeah. The younger generation is a massive swing towards not drinking 
like our generation. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the generations before us, like there's a real pushback for um, drinking a lot less and being responsible, but still having that sort of feel of um, having an alcoholic drink. So yeah, you're right. Zero alcohol beers, zero alcohol wines. I was at a party the other day. She brought, um, one of the guests brought zero alcohol champagne. I tried it. It was horrible. <laughs> And she, even um, she just wanted to be, feel part of it, part of it, and it, it, that is such a good point because Australia it's such a part of our culture that I feel like it, you have to be holding a drink, and you know if you can feel part of it, and it's not immediately obvious it's a coke. That's that's awesome. the thing because people judge you. It's mm. very sad, but people come up and they will judge you if you're not drinking. They'll ask you questions, oh, so and if annoying. it looks like you're having a champagne, they'll just shut up. And if you're a certain age, it's like, oh, you're knocked up, hey, or, yeah. you know, it's so presumptuous to think that. No, I'm just not drinking today. <laughs> yeah. Or you may, there may be a private reason that you don't want to answer that question as well. So yeah. Yeah. it's a sad state of affairs, but it really is culturally ingrained in us. So yeah, these zero presenters are not a bad thing at all. Yeah. and, and even, Or even if you want to be a designated driver. Yeah. Exactly. Responsible driving. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Who even are you? Who are you? But yeah, further to that, considering putting on a mocktail um, is always popular as well. And it's, we're getting it requested a lot more at events lately. Mocktails. Yeah, mocktails. Mm. I I often think, what's the point? (laughs) Personally, (laughs) I didn't even, when I was pregnant and I couldn't drink, I... I just stuck with water. I don't know why. I think it's because of all the sugar that you mm. get and you think, oh, if I'm not going to get the buzz of alcohol, I don't want all that sugar. <laughs> no, I love a good I love a good mocktail because it's like a mixture of flavours you wouldn't usually get in a soft drink. Yeah, that's so true. It's, like and it's much more fun. And the, yeah, it's much more fun. And it looks pretty. In a cute class and you feel like you, you're part of it. It looks great in photos. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so another thing on staff, um, it's so important to have dedicated clearing staff. There's nothing worse than going into an event and you go to a table to have a chat with your mate and it's just full of empty bottles or empty glasses. If you're running an event and the situation calls for people to retain their glasses because you don't have facilities to wash, let them know at the time they're given their first drink. Doesn't always happen with the kind of events that we do, but it definitely happens in smaller events or community events, particularly outdoor events where you just don't have the facilities to go and wash glassware and reuse it. Yeah. And I've noticed a lot lately they're doing drinks container deposits. So you have to pay an extra 2 $3 for your cup and when you bring it back, you get the money back. So that basically the guests are doing the clearing for you. Nice. Yeah. Which is, you know, an outdoor, you wouldn't do that at, a $300 a head ball. No. But at an outdoor festival, free family event, it's I think it's more than warranted. Yeah. Yeah. Good thing to consider. Mm. Yeah. So though, so it comes down to the management team really just saying when you do your briefing with your F&B manager, how many dedicated clearing staff do you have and making sure that that's not the same as the service staff. Obviously for them, they may have a lot of service staff in the beginning when people are drinking a little bit faster and then they may switch over to have um, some of those staff become clearing staff later in the night. That's fine as long as they're really, really on top of it and you don't have to be going or the guests don't have to be clearing things away. It's not a good look. No, definitely not. So responsible service of alcohol is 
an obvious one when we're talking about bars, but that's also something you really need to make sure your service staff are across. And to be honest, we yeah, they have to have an RSA, like a responsible service of alcohol ticket to do it in Australia and I'm sure most in most places around the world. Um, but ensuring they know how to deal with an intoxicated guest, does the venue have procedures? Usually certain venues will require you to have a certain number of security um, guards per guest and where to find those security guards if they need to notify them. Yeah, it's a real balance because you want your bar people to be friendly and approachable and to have a laugh and a, and a chat if you're able to with your guests, but they they have to be in control. Yep. They always have to be the ones that are the boss. And as the night goes on, they're the ones that still are clear-headed. They're there to keep control and to put in measures that are safe. Quite often, um, the bartenders don't even need to be the bad guy. They're the fun party team, but they're the ones who identify the overly intoxicated people and notify the event manager. So yes. I've had that happen a number of times. We're in charge of the room. We know where to find the service staff, sorry, the security guards. And they kind of come over and discreetly ask that person to leave or to start on some waters or sit down. Yeah, it all comes down to having a very safe environment and maintaining that throughout the night. So the safety of the, the guests should always be the top priority. Obviously, bar staff need to be trained to handle uh, emergency situations and medical emergencies or fights. But like you said, if it's a large event, then you would bring in security to assist with that. But they need to be the ones that are uh, monitoring and, and making people aware. The other thing is sometimes the client doesn't know what's good for their guests because they too are drinking. Mm. So they may think that they're keeping a level head throughout the event and just having a couple of drinks. But as soon as you've had one alcoholic drink, your judgment is impaired. And once you've had two or three, even if you're that's all you're having for the night as a client, your judgment just changes. And yeah. you may see a guest that we see as sober event professionals they're really tipping over the top, mm -hmm. but your client may not think that. And so it's a little delicate dance that you need to do in... So I'll give you a situation. Security has come up to me at an event and said, this person is really inebriated, we're going to stop service at the bar. The client has come over to me and said, no, no, they're fine. They've just had, you know, a couple of champagnes. I'm giving them some water. You have to make that judgment call at that moment to diffuse the situation Nine times out of ten, security guard is absolutely correct, mm -hmm. but the client's paying the bill. So you've got to do that little negotiation with, yes, no problems, I'll make sure they're still served, but for the next half an hour, we're just going to serve them sparkling water or um, could they just sit down for a little while? I don't know. What's What have you done in the past where, where you've had that? Is there any well, examples you can think of? One is coming to mind, but um, in that situation, the person then proved they were extremely inebriated by falling over. I know this event you're thinking yes. of. Yeah. <laughs> so at the time we were talking to the client, the guest fell. Yep. And yep. spilt drinks and smashed things. So the security guard obviously is trying to remove this person. The client said, oh, no, there was water on the floor. They tripped over. Yeah. And that was a, that was a bit of an awkward situation. But then... Luckily, we were there trying to talk to them. The client came up to me afterwards and said, the longer I spoke to that person, you're right. They, there's no way they fell on water. They are very drunk. Yes. <laughs> um, so luckily, like, we have pretty reasonable clients. But I think in the situation 
where they haven't seen reason is to just say, yeah, we will absolutely keep serving this person, but we're going to keep, we're going to monitor them for the next 30 minutes. Usually if they've been hammering them hard, they're going to get worse in the next 30 minutes. So they probably are going to prove to the client. To be honest, if the client's drinking, they're probably going to forget about that person anyway and they're going to be over in the corner. So then yeah, we're going to get dealing. whisked away for, to other conversations. Exactly. Okay. And sorry, when I said we're going to keep serving that person, I meant water. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not booze. Yeah. Or maybe even a, a coffee. Yes. Yeah. But usually as well, like the guest is there with a partner who's usually more sober and can be like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I'll take them home or... Yeah. Um, they're usually accompanied by somebody who is close to them who can appreciate that they are very, very drunk. We've had a situation where we had a whole ballroom quite inebriated, but not to the point where they were falling over or rolling drunk, but the bar staff really were slowing down the drinks and it was creating massive wait times at the bar. So the bar, bar staff had told us about it and... We had agreed, yes, if you think they're inebriated, I don't know, I'm not going to use that word anymore. If you think they're drunk, (laughs) stop serving them or slow down the service. So I agreed with what they were saying. It was well within their rights to do so. However, the client, like I said before, she was, she'd had a few drinks. Her view was people are coming up to me and complaining that they can't get a drink and it's taking 20 minutes and people aren't happy. So at the end of the day, we didn't change the way we were serving because they were getting drunk. Yeah. However, after the event, we had to really go back and reassess what had happened and why. And if every single person was at that level or if it was just a couple of people. And it was a tricky situation, to be honest. And that is the hard part, to be honest, because the bar staff might have had, say, three guests in a row that seemed quite drunk. And they, they tar the whole room with that brush. So they say, that's it. People are too drunk. We're slowing down service. And the four people behind are literally getting their second shardy. Yeah. Um, and getting frustrated because they can't get a drink. So it is a hard one. Things that they, they can do at that time are you can you can go slow, more slowly mm. or you can limit the drinks. So you yeah. can just say, look, you can only get one drink per person at this time. If yeah. you're getting one for your friend, your friend has to come back and get it. Yeah. That's a really good way around um, finding out who's drunk and who's not drunk. Because you're going to se- send your sober mate yeah, <laughs> to the bar, aren't you? That's if true. You are, or if you've been cut off, or obviously. You, or you're trying to double park yourself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, another way to get around it fr- in the planning stage is to consider only doing the really strong cocktails later in the evening. So say for the last two hours when the dance floor really kicks off or on arrival for one, like so, but not serving them for the entire duration of the event because that's when things can get real messy. Mm. If you are drinking espresso martinis the entire night, oof. Yeah, it's true. This is kind of off topic, but in terms of safety. But one thing that really annoys me is when you serve champagne at the beginning of the night and it's intentionally your first drink. Like you, you're intentionally serving it for first drinks only and then it runs out. Then you can't get it. Yeah. yeah. And you have to switch to wine. or something. Once yeah. I start on bubbles, Same. all I want for the rest of the night is bubbles. Same. It's the worst. My head hates me the next day for that. But usually if I start on bubbles, I'm drinking it for the rest of the night. Yes, it does. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so ensure that you've you've got enough of that to run through. Welcome cocktail, a bit different, but yeah, I think the preference is to kind of ramp up to the stronger cocktails at the end of the night as kind of a nightcap and not serve them from the start. 
often a welcome cocktail is very sugary as well. Yeah. So one is true. enough. Or like a lot of um, mixer soda, like gin and tonic or like that sort of thing as well. Yeah. Yeah, and it always looks nice. It looks good for photos. Mm. It looks good when you've got cocktails lined up. They take a long time to make as well. So if you've got 200 people coming into a ballroom, to remake that for 200 people is going to take eons. Mm. So that's why a welcome cocktail works really well. You know what you could do, and I've only just thought about this now, I don't know if it's deceptive or not, is start serving them half shots or like, you know, gin and tonic, you just put the tonic in. I've done that to my boyfriend so many times. He's never known. (laughs) Are you listening, Manu? Okay, not so many times. He's not a huge drinker. But I vividly remember one time he was so drunk. And I would go to the bar and I'd get both of us a soda water and I'd tell him it was vodka and soda and he did not know the difference. Ah, beauty. Yep. Absolute beauty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, look, I think that's a great way If you're not paying for it, it's a bit dicey if you're charging them for it. But yes. Um, you know, if if it's free drinks over the bar, part of the event, time to slip them with just a soda water and lime, I think. Mm. Hold the vodka. I don't know how ethical <laughs> this is, but okay. <laughs> I mean, that's how I control my boyfriend's drinking. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Uh, so next topic is communication. And we've touched on this a fair bit throughout um, our discussion today, but Really, when you first get to the event, sitting down with your food and beverage manager, making sure that there's a clear line of communication with them at the beginning of the night, throughout the night, and at the end of the night to find out what happened. Really valuable when you get to the end of the night and you get a bit of a report and a bit of a wrap up from your F&B manager for your event report the next day. Quite often, like I said before, the client thinks one thing, you think another you're the sober one. F&B manager should be the sober one. Yeah, you hope <laughs> Unless so. you're staying at the White Lotus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So get that get that uh, feel for what's gone on through the night. Get the report from them, from what their staff have told you, why things have happened the way they've happened. Most often than not, it's been clear sailing and you've had a really good night. If incidents do come up, then you probably have been aware of it throughout the night. But just having that last little chat with the F&B manager at the end is going to be good for you for reporting back to your client. Definitely. And for next year. So certain certain things you can tweak even slightly like opening the bar one hour later, which are going to make a huge difference to the state of the room at the end of the night. Yes. Yeah. Or closing. And yeah, so when you have your first chat with them before the event or even before the day of the event, establishing what the limits will be for the event. So it might be, like we said before, one drink per person when they come to the bar. It might be uh, that the event's finishing at midnight, you're going to stop service at 11pm or 11.30pm. If it is going to be 11.45pm, how long can they stay within the venue after the venue closes and the ugly lights come on at midnight? Mm -hmm. All of those things need to be discussed and very, very clear. Yeah, no one wants to scull a drink when the ugly lights come on. You need to give them time to finish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's best not to serve them, um, you know, 10 minutes before the event's going to finish. Yeah. But then, yeah, it's managing that and putting up the signage. Nothing works better than a bar closed sign. Like people yeah. yell at the sign instead of yelling at the person that's saying, sorry, I can't serve you anymore. <laughs> uh, anything else to add, Mel? No, I think we've covered it all. It's a lot to talk about, but it's... Obviously, one of the things people remember most about an event. So it's super duper important to get right. Yes, it is. So I guess to wrap us up, 
at the end of the day, we want people to have a lot of fun and really have fun with their drinks, enjoy them, but go home and still be able to stand up. Make it home safely to enjoy your event again the next year. Exactly. (laughs) And hopefully they're not too sore headed the next day, but Sometimes you just can't control that. Sometimes that's a sign of a good night. It is. And sometimes if you have got those measures in and, you know, there's clients that we work with that are really strict on alcohol, you know, they they can only serve alcohol by their... It's their internal... Professional law, like, yeah, yeah, internal rules. Procedures. For, what, three hours at a time? Is that... No longer than three hours at a time, yeah. Yeah, so... That's really hard to work around sometimes, but... That's the way it is, but you just work within those parameters and then say the after party is at blah blah yeah (laughs) see you later see ya have fun all right thanks guys so good to chat to you let's go get a drink now yeah sounds good bye thanks for tuning in for your chance to have your questions answered or join our conversation follow us on instagram at behind the clipboard podcast So I got a fun story for the Easter egg today. Lost all the buttons on my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing makes you feel like a fat shit like that does. <laughs> what did Manu say to you? Oh, uh, too much porchetta. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, he knows you best. Yeah, he does. <laughs>